The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Our text for our sermon is Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Jacob set out from Beersheba and traveled towards Haran. He came to a certain place and decided to spend the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from that place, put it under his head, and laid down to sleep in that place. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. There were angels of God ascending and descending on it. There at the top stood the Lord who said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you are laying I give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back again into this land. Indeed, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Certainly the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, How awe-inspiring is this place. This is nothing other than the house of God and this is the gate to heaven. This is the word of our Lord. Jacob, in verse 16, says, Certainly the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Jacob often was not aware of how much the Lord was with him. And so today, our sermon theme, as we apply it not just to Jacob, but to ourselves, is the Lord is always with you, even when it seems the opposite. Now, to understand our uh, text today, we have to rewind quite a bit uh, back to Isaac was 40 years old when he gets married to Rebecca, but she's barren. And so he'll be 60 years old when twins are born, Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau is the older, Jacob's the younger, but they're fighting constantly in the womb. And so Rebecca t- uh, consults the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, we're told the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from your body. The one people will be stronger than the other. The elder will serve the younger. Now, normally at this time in this part of the world, the older son got all the blessings and all the inheritance and everything. So these are the only two children Rebecca and Isaac are going to have. And remember, God had promised Abraham that the coming Savior would come through Isaac. So if the older is to serve the younger, which is quite different from what was the culture in this area, guess what's wrapped up in this promise? It's already been made clear that Jacob, the younger, will be the one through whom the Messiah will come. We know that'll come through one of his sons, Judah, who was not the oldest either, but he was also not the youngest. Now, when they're born, Esau is very hairy and, and, he's, and he's reddish in color, so he gets the name Esau. And Jacob, he, when he comes, after Esau comes out, Jacob's holding on to his heel. And in the Middle East at this time, a heel grabber was somebody who tripped you up all the time, who was tricky, kind of a shyster. So he's given the name Jacob, but it has kind of a double meaning to it. Now, the sad thing is, is while Esau is clearly not going to get the blessing that the Messiah comes through him, his birthright means nothing to him. Rebecca loves Jacob. She shows favorites. He kind of hangs around the camp all the time. Esau is a hunter, and Esau uh, is Isaac's favorite. So it is that Esau is out hunting, 
And when he comes back, he's starving, he's hungry, and he comes into his brother Jacob's tent, and Jacob's making a bowl of lentil stew. And Esau thinks so highly of his birthright, he says, give me some of your stew. And Jacob says, first sell me your birthright. Now, already we see Jacob's forgotten that the Lord is with him, and maybe his parents forgot to tell him, guess who's getting the blessing? God had made that clear. So Jacob takes advantage of the situation and Esau could care less about his birthright. He literally says, what does it mean to me if I starve to death? All he had to do was go to another servant's tent and get a slice of bread or something and wait a few minutes. So he sells his birthright. And in Genesis 25 verse 34, we are told, so Esau treated his birthright as if it was worthless. Didn't mean anything to him anyways. Could care less about the coming Savior. And ultimately we see that, that he will marry Canaanite women. Women whose worship practices were detestable. I said that in the plural. One wasn't enough for him. So it happens uh, as Isaac's getting much older and he doesn't know when he's going to die, but he feels like his days are numbered. So he says to Esau, son, go out in the field, hunt something uh, and make my favorite uh, meat out of that wild game. And when you come back, I'm going to give you the blessing. Isaac knows that blessing's supposed to go to Jacob, but Esau is his favorite. Well, Rebecca overhears this. She forgets that the Lord had said, even though the Lord had promised this. And so she tells Jacob, her son, the hill grabber, she says, I want you to go in and pretend to be Esau so you get your blessing. And well, I'm not going to smell like him, wear his clothes. Well, he's hairy. Let's put some, some sheep's wool on you. So he goes in and Isaac gives him the blessing that God had said before they were born was his, but Isaac thinks he's giving it to Esau. And when it comes out and Esau comes back and finds this out, he's mad. In fact, suddenly his birthright meant something to him. He's so angry, he's going to kill his brother. It just boils down to that. And ultimately, uh, it, this Rebecca, this catches wind of this too. And Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm tired of my life because of these daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, these daughters of the land, what good will my life do me? So she tells Jacob and Isaac gives his blessing. He's to travel 500 miles to Haran to her family to find a bride who is not going to be as detestable as the Canaanite people. And remember, it was very perverse the way they worship God. So that gets us to our text. And again, the Lord is always with you, even when it seems the opposite. This whole family seems to be forgetting this all the time and seems to be trying to, to outsmart God. So Jacob is set out, and it's the first night on his trip, and that's where our text begins. Jacob set out from Beersheba and traveled towards Haran. He came to a certain place and decided to spend the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from that place, put it under his head, and lay down to sleep in that place. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Now, I'm going to interrupt here. Hebrew has a word called hine, and the King James Version would translate that, used to translate that, behold. This was a way of emphasizing, you know, today we bold something. So it's bolded here. It's paying our brain, saying, pay close attention to this. There were angels of God ascending and descending on it. And then we're told there at the top stood the Lord. So the Hebrew language is a storyteller's language and, and it uses participles to emphasize. It's not that an angel comes down and then sits there and does nothing. This is continuous activity. He's seen these angels coming and going and God standing on top of the ladder. Now, what always amazes me, we have to understand that, first of all, a functioning alphabet had not been invented yet. That's about 400 years away. 
And so uh, God speaks more through visions and things. But it always amazes me how uh, we, if we compare our intelligence to God, we don't even have something we can compare that with. Because even an ant to a human being is closer than our intelligence to God. But God communicates. Jacob is setting out. He's got a 500-mile trip ahead of him. And God figures out a way to communicate to him and lets him see this vision of the angels coming and going. And really... God has revealed to Jacob uh, that he himself is with him during this 500-mile trip. As he sees these angels coming and going, he gets to see that God is looking out for him. God is taking care of him. God is with him, even though he couldn't see it this whole entire time. Maybe he didn't need to be such a trickster in the first place, but that's a sermon for another day. And we want to apply that to ourselves. Especially when you look at the book of Revelation, which is often used to scare the stuffing out of Christians, the book of Revelation is actually meant to comfort Christians. And one of the things you really get when you read the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ didn't just die for our sins and rise again. He ascended to heaven where he is sitting on his throne and he's ruling over all creation for you. Sometimes it seems the opposite, doesn't it? Hard things come, but the scriptures assures us Just as God was assuring Jacob that he's with him, God is with you. He's ruling for his bride, which is the invisible church, which is made up of all believers, which means it's made up of you. And so he's making even the things that seem miserable in your life work for your good. And boy, is Jacob going to have to remember this because he's got a tough uh, many years ahead of him. Now, in verse 13, we're told there at the top stood the Lord who said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you are lying, I give to you and to your descendants. Already affirming the messianic promise to him, because remember the nation of Israel had been promised to Abraham's descendants. But all the more, God spells out, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. This is not some new foreign God. This is the one that his grandfather had worshipped. This is the one who had promised the Messiah. This is the one to whom his father worshipped, the one his father told him about. It's important for us to recognize that. Because take, for example, uh, around 800 A.D., 750 A.D., this goat herder who is spending way too much time out in the desert goes out and seems to have a vision that God is talking to him. And he ends up inventing a very violent religion that is the third largest religion today. And so we got to be careful, don't we? God is making it clear to Jacob as he reveals himself to him, I'm the God, I'm the God who makes the messianic promise. Now, for example, during the Reformation, Luther didn't teach anything new at all. He had access to the scriptures because he was a professor and a monk. And he discovered in those scriptures what was glaringly obvious, that we are saved by God taking on human flesh, doing being perfect for us, taking the punishment for us, rising and ascending. And even then, like Martin Luther, he wanted to make sure he wasn't teaching something new. So he goes searching through the church fathers. Now, he would find just 150 years earlier, a man named Hus, who was from modern-day Czechoslovakia, had been teaching those things. But he was an Augustinian monk, and the Augustinian monk's namesake was a guy named Augustine who lived 400 AD. And he finds, yes, the church over and over again had been teaching that we're saved by grace. And it's an important thing for us as the Lord made it clear that he was not some new or forgotten God to Jacob. You and I want to search the scriptures. We want to be Bereans, as the Bereans were with Paul when he said Jesus is the Messiah. They made sure that he fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. 
Because our sinful nature will make us forget things about God. We'll love to embrace new things or even a new God of any kind. And so just as the Lord made it clear he was not some new or forgotten God, we're blessed to live in a time when the scriptures have been fulfilled and written so you and I can turn to those words, stay in that word, and be refreshed in it and compare the teachings in that to it. God continues. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and, and to the south. In you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You've heard me say in lots of sermons when I preach on the New Testament Greek language, we got to pay attention to the prepositions. And the same is true with Hebrew. Notice he says, in you, not with you, but in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The Savior is going to come through Jacob's loins, to be quite blunt. And we know it's going to come through one of his sons, Judah, who's not the one we would think would deserve it. We would think Joseph would. But Judah's going to eventually have a descendant named David, and God will reaffirm that the Savior is going to come through David. God is really making it clear the Messiah is coming through you. And in fact, that's, before that, he says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. It's kind of interesting. Hebrew is a narrative language. It is a language, if you tell stories, it's a good language to use because it's very descriptive. And that word for that you will spread abroad, it's a word really, it's for bursting forward. Like if you were to keep filling up a balloon with sand until it finally, <coughs> and dust spread everywhere. Now, Obviously, the descendants of Abraham, which we know as the Jewish people, would spread all over the world, but there's so much more to this promise. Because when somebody believes in Jesus as their savior, they become an adopted child of Abraham. Jacob had no clue that Wyoming existed and wasn't even named Wyoming at this time as God appears to him. But here we are on the other side of the world. It is spread, that good news of the Savior. So the Lord affirmed the promise that the Messiah would come from Jacob. And that's the only promise Jacob would ever really need from the Lord, but that's not the only blessing he gets. So he does that by his word, and it's a reminder to us why you and I come, and he affirms to us over and over again that he is our Savior. He affirms to us over and over again that because he's our Savior, our sins are forgiven. And this is why we keep coming to the word. So we see the Lord is always with you, even when it seems the opposite. The Lord revealed it to Jacob on his 500-mile trip, and the Lord reveals to you that he's ruling on his throne for you. The Lord makes it clear that he was not some new or forgotten God, and it's a reminder for us to search the scriptures, and the Lord affirmed the promise that the Messiah would come from Jacob, and that reminds us to stay in the word so we're constantly reminded that he is our Savior who's earned forgiveness for us. In verse 15, we're told now, and once again, that Hebrew word, behold, pay attention. God, God's emphasizing this. Now, behold, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back again to this land. Indeed, I will not leave you until I have done what I promised to you. Jacob is going to need to cling to this promise to the Lord. Because when Jacob makes that, finishes that 500-mile trip and gets to Haran, he's going to find out Uncle Laban, if Jacob was a heel grabber, Uncle Laban was a shyster. Uncle Laban was the kind of guy, and we've all known people like this, where your friends warn you, you don't do business with that man because you will never come out ahead. You don't break even. Laban is quite a shyster. So 
Jacob goes up there thinking he's, he heads up there thinking he's going to be up there for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. It's going to be more than a couple of months. It's going to be more than a couple of years. Uncle Laban, he falls in love with, with, with Rachel. Uncle Laban says, well, you got to work for work seven years. And of course, Laban recognizes God is blessing everything Jacob does. Laban is getting wealthier as Jacob works seven years for him tending his flocks. So on his bridal night when he's supposed to get Rachel, Laban gets him good and drunk. And when he wakes up in the morning, I can't imagine the hangover he had, Leah, the older sister, is laying next to him. What have you done? I married to Leah. Oh, well, I couldn't marry off the, the, the youngest daughter without taking care of the oldest daughter. First, it would be a disgrace for her. Tell you what, you work seven more years for me for Rachel. Jacob does that. 14 years he's there. Now, Rachel is barren, and a baby war comes up between her and Leah. And Leah's not loved, but Leah's the one who's fertile. So the first child born will be born to Leah. That's Reuben. That's the oldest son. Reuben has already become an adult when, J when Jacob, because he'd be 14 years old roughly, Jacob finally says, all right, time to go. But Jacob has nothing to show for 14 years of labor. So his uncle, the shyster, says, tell you what, you work for me, continue tending my flocks, and is it every spotted sheep will be yours. Well, the Lord bless him and all the sheep being, almost all the sheep being born are spotted. So his uncle Laban renegotiates deals. says, tell you what, following year, It'll be the streak sheep. So the Lord blesses him with mostly streak sheep. And he continues changing and changing. Now, when it's all said and done, Uncle Laban gets quite wealthy because of Jacob. But Jacob, who left with pretty much just the clothes on his back, comes back. Many of his sons are now adults. And he has a lot of sheep. In other words, in an, in an agricultural society, he's coming back to Israel as a wealthy man. But boy, was it going to seem, did it seem oftentimes like the Lord was working against him? So Jacob would have a rough road ahead, but God assured him that he was working for his good. And let's admit it, in this life, as Martin Luther one time said, it often seems like God hates us. Life gets rough. But at your baptism, God made a promise to you that he would keep you in your salvation, keep you in your forgiveness and that he would deliver you safely to heaven. The only way we can screw that up is if we let something else have first place in our heart, if we stay away from that word, or if we just reject God. God made a very similar promise to you at your baptism. So think of your baptismal certificate as a property deed in heaven, and God's promise to you that he's working for your good as well, and you will arrive safely in heaven. Lastly, in our sermon text, we're told in verse 16, Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Certainly the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, How awe-inspiring is this place. This is nothing other than the house of God, and this is the gate to heaven. It's interesting, the Hebrew word, when he woke up, he was afraid, is also the most common Hebrew word for faith. And that's that word for fear. And it's also the root when he says, how awe-inspiring is this place? See, faith has two things. It has a fear and an and, 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 and a reverent awe, an awe-inspiring thing at God. For unbelievers, we know like on Judgment Day, there's just going to be a fear. That's the Lord I was rejecting. But for you and I, there's an, there's an awe-inspiringness just as it was with Jacob. Wow, I didn't deserve any of this. I've been a shyster. And yet the Lord is promising me he's going to be with me. And for you and I, there's this reverent awe, this awe-inspiring. God should have sent me to hell because I'm a sinner. 
Instead, he took on human flesh and saved me, is what you and I think. And so that, that, that fear is kind of like a father. And we got to really emphasize, because today Hollywood portrays fathers as all being idiots and everything else, and we're emasculating men and everything. A good Christian father who raises his children knowing the Lord, who provides for his family, is not a deadbeat dad. Well, the child then, uh, whether it's the son or it's the daughter, uh, for example, they have a love for dad, but what happens when they're misbehaving like the son and mama says, you just wait till your father gets home. Oh, there's a respect, but there's a fear in that respect. Or think about when the daughter goes to her prom and, and the date shows up and dad lets that kid know, you're going to be very careful with my daughter, right? This is something you and I have. The Lord's promise was awe-inspiring for Jacob. Wow, God has been with me. He's opened up my eyes. How did I miss this? But it's why you're here today too, right? God's word is awe-inspiring for you. And you come over and over again to hear it, to hear it applied to you, to get to wrestle with it in Bible study. And so we see the Lord's promise was awe-inspiring for Jacob. And it's why you're here today. And so Jacob, the heel grabber, had oftentimes tried to do things his own way and didn't just trust in the Lord. But the Lord came to him and we see uh, through that the Lord is always with you, even when it seems the opposite. The Lord revealed it to Jacob on his 500 mile trip and he's revealed to you in his scriptures that he's ruling over all creation to bring you in and keep you in your faith. The Lord made it clear that he was not some new or forgotten God, and it reminds us to keep searching those scriptures to be Bereans so that we constantly are, see God's work for us and that he, he fulfills those. The Lord affirmed the promise that the Messiah would come from Jacob, and by his word he affirms to you that he is your Savior and your sins are forgiven. Jacob would, not, would have a rough road ahead, but God assured him that, it was, that he was working for his good. And God does the same for you with his word, but especially made that promise to you in your baptism. And we see the Lord's promise was awe-inspiring for Jacob. And it's why you are here today listening to his word. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.